Mike here and getting a little time that we missed last week. I have to tell you, Wellness Wednesday last week was not so well without Dr. Michael Royzen. He was off on a little uh, little rest and relaxation, playing some golf out in California, sending me pictures, torturing me with the beautiful scenery and the course. And uh, he's here now. But Dr. Royzen, you almost had a hole in one twice last week. It, it shows you what good golf balls do. Oh, that's right. I sent you uh, some uh, golf balls from Clear, but I have to send you the newest ones. Maybe the new ones would have gone in the hole. Well, it was, it was the closest I've ever come twice. So wow. who knows? But if you play enough par threes, maybe. <laughs> yeah, the law of averages does say anything will happen that can. So, you know, uh, both of us should be getting closer and closer. I was very excited for you. Uh, Doc, I want to get into a couple of hot topics. Uh, but I have to ask you, and it's uh, it's a family question: um, is is getting uh, pooped on by a seagull <laughs> is it unhealthy? Can can bird poop cause health problems? Well, the problem is that the answer is yes. Um, so, um, pigeon and some other birds have um, fungi and protozoan that still live on them, right? They don't cook their meat. They don't cook what they eat. And they may have, um, especially in uh, the desert, may have coxie or blastomycoses, some of these fungi that can get, that you can breathe in. So it's on, it dries, you breathe it in. Don't save that hat. Don't touch that hat. Um, and so it is a risk for you long term. Hmm. You know, coccidiomycosis, blastomycosis are serious diseases. Coxy is the one that's common in Arizona and in the desert. I hope he was playing in a non-desert environment. Uh, he was in uh, Adelaide, uh, Australia. I don't know what the climate yeah, is. I don't think they, you know, it depends what the birds have in that area. But they don't remember the, the feces are not a, a something that's eaten, um, that, that's already eaten something that's cooked. Yeah. And they've already, you know, so uh, <laughs> and any and any bird that would do that <laughs> to a great tennis player probably is diseased. Yeah, probably. And, or or <laughs> crazy. Because <laughs> they should have known that he was playing in a tournament and he shouldn't try and do that to someone moving around like that. Yeah, it's true. Um, and, and but, you know, he's got a racket and a ball that travels 140 <laughs> miles an hour and that's very dangerous to bird life. <laughs> Especially when that racket is moving over his head, how'd the bird get away? Yeah, I don't know. It was very, it was a very unusual situation, but uh, hopefully it doesn't happen again. He did tweet out a picture of the incident or the evidence afterwards, and said, even the birds don't want us here in Australia. So <laughs> it was funny. Doc, uh, I don't want to eat up all our time with my silliness, but I do, I'm fascinated by the story of the doctors who transplanted uh, sort of a genetically modified pig heart into a man, and the guy's been alive for a few days. How is this possible? Well, so... This is only possible because of what you said, genetic engineering, 
CRISPR-Cas9. They didn't say what they used, but they probably used CRISPR-Cas9 in a variety. One of the parts was to, the first gene they gave was to slow the growth of the pig because pigs can get to 450, 500 pounds and their hearts get appropriately big. So they slowed it to a 200 and whatever it was, 40-pound pig. Hmm. So the heart didn't get too big. Secondly, they edited out the immune reaction drug, immune reaction genes. That is, they found what genes it is that um, are able to cause immunity, and they edited those out. So the heart doesn't have the immune markers on it that your human would attack, and um, in that way, the the heart is much more human, and they injected, they also transplanted in four human genes, or six human genes, I can't remember which, to give the same markers of the heart as a human would have. Hmm. So the, that, the key in this is really that. The surgery is no different than a heart transplant. Um, the, it, it's, it, it's a little different in that every heart is a little different uh, anatomy, but every human heart is a little different anatomy. So they had to do that. And, uh, but the key was the growing or, or the maturing of the pig without the markers of immune reaction. So this company, United Therapeutics, which does uh, skin tissue um, and other things from uh, animals, makes other things such as the collagen, etc., um, and uh, is the one that provided the animal with the guidance of the University of Maryland. This is just so amazing, and I, I, I flash back to the 80s when Paul Simon had a, a song out that talked about all of the, the marvels in our world, and he talked about the boy in the bubble and the baby with a baboon heart. And I always thought we'd be transplanting uh, ape hearts into humans, but pigs gave us valves for years now, and now we're up to an entire heart. Uh, how long does this guy have to live with this uh, pig heart before we go, okay, this is a good idea, let's start growing more pigs for more human heart transplants? Well, you know, the, 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 the this is a, a field that has, that is, remember, the surgery isn't more complex. It is the genes that, the change in the pig that is mm. more complex. So, so you got to harvest, you got you to harvest the pig heart. Well, the pig is real near, you know, it's like you have two operating rooms next to each other, one with a pig in it to take it out and one with a human in it to give it in and to wow. get the timing right. So this is, you know, it's like if you look at a kidney, a live kidney transplant, you take the kidney out in one room and move it 20 feet to the next room where you give it to the next patient. So it doesn't have what we call ischemic time, time without uh, adequate blood flow. We have to kind of do the same thing with the pig. Now, you have to wash the blood out, and so you put it on a machine that perfuses it um, until you can get it in and clean and in and sterile, etc. 
but it's the same. Uh, it's a similar process. The surgery isn't that much. Is it more difficult than a, the normal heart transplant? So I remember the '60s when we did the first uh, heart transplant, and uh, actually at UC San Francisco we had the longest living one for a long while, um, where the guy lived. He must have lived 20 years after he got the his human heart. Um, but that was the first heart transplant, but this is a, you know, my guess is if he lives, uh, six months, you know, the, the life expectancy of severe heart failure is between is around 18 months when they present. But by the time they're, uh, um, in the stage of needing this, it's probably this guy couldn't walk up three stairs. So he probably had a life expectancy of, you know, two or three weeks without the transplant. So my guess is if if he lives now two months, um, he's lived, uh, you know, four times as long as he was expected to, then we'll start considering doing these much more routinely. Remember, there's 6,000 people on the waiting list for a heart transplant and only 2,000 of them will ever get a transplant without dying first. Well, we got a lot of pigs in this country, Doc, but I only have a minute left in this segment, and I don't <laughs> want to I don't want to lose out on, uh, you said you have a tip on uh, olive oil. This is a great study confirming stuff from the PrediMed study in 19, that was published in 2013 in the New England Journal. This is a study that followed patients for, 90,000 patients, around 60,000 women, 30,000 men for 30 plus years in the health professionals and nurses health study. And those that ate um, seven grams or half a tablespoonful of olive oil had a 19% reduction in all-cause mortality over those 30 years and a 29% reduction in development of dementia, cognitive dysfunction, brain dysfunction, over the 38 years. So um, what you want to do is always have a half a tablespoon of olive oil on your veggies that you cook up and then have, and that gets you um, a 19% less strokes, less heart attacks, less cancer, 29% less dementia. What could be better than eating something you love? They didn't even specify the quality of the olive oil. It was any olive oil. Um, So you substitute for butter, you substitute it for um, mayonnaise, you substitute it for lard, you substitute it for anything else that you would use in place of butter, in, in place of uh, olive oil, meaning any other fat, and it gives you a tremendous benefit in this large study. That's a beautiful thing. His name is Dr. Michael Roizen. We missed him last week. We're so happy we got him back this week. You can find out more. Go to whenway.com, whenway.com, and learn about Dr. Roizen's books, his cookbook, and uh, then listen to me because we'll talk to Dr. Roizen again. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. 